I am doomed to remember a boy with a wrecked voice. Not because of his voice, or because he was the smallest person I ever knew, or even because he was the instrument of my mother's death, but because he is the reason I believe in God. What faith I have, I owe to Simon Birch, a boy I grew up with in Gravestown, Maine. It is Simon that made me a believer. your thoughts now and when I come back we'll talk about what we've just read silently and seriously that's how I want you to think our Sunday school teacher was an unhappy woman by the name of Miss Levy her name suited her perfectly as she was always leaving class <laughs> <laughs> Simon Birch was so tiny that we loved to pick him up. Hey, put me down. In truth, we couldn't use this picking up. We thought it was a miracle how little he weighed. <laughs> you think Simon climbed up there on his own? Or that leaving us alone with our thoughts had so empowered us that Simon was levitating up to heaven? But Simon was no rat. As vividly as any story in the Bible, Simon showed us what a martyr was. Oh, did any of y'all have a Sunday school teacher like that? Oh, unfortunately, I had a bunch of them. I grew up in a fundamental Baptist church. If you don't know what a fundamental Baptist church is, just take rules and regulations and, and multiply them by thousands and 
ad infinitum, and that's that's rules. Women couldn't wear pants because pants were were from hell, and uh, uh, guys couldn't have long hair because long hair was from hell, you know, and stuff like that. Beards, facial hair, and you know. And, and my brothers were the smart alecks because it's just like a, a genetic in the Washburn family. If you're just a smart aleck, so they're like, well, don't you think Jesus had long hair? No, you know. And, and the pastors didn't like the older Washburn kids. I was too young. I was still nice. Um, but, but they were like, uh, didn't Jesus have facial hair? No, you know, and oh man, we finally, we finally got not really kicked out of the church, but we left the church. Um, cause dad was tired of mentioning the Washburn boys without mentioning them. You know, everybody would know who he's talking about, but anyway, so, uh, poor Simon, Simon is born, you know, he's, he's this little guy. He was born with this, with a heart condition and it made him, uh, it made everything uh, difficult for him in his life. And I figure that Simon, you're going to see a whole lot of stuff. How many of you have seen this movie, by the way? It's an older movie. It is a great movie. You need to see it. Um, it's all about Simon realizes that he has a purpose in life. Now, being this small, you can imagine Simon would fall sometimes. I imagine he's been pushed down. I imagine there's all kinds of things that have happened to Simon. I bet that he has a lot of scars. Now, let me just ask a question real quick. How many of you have physical scars? Anyone? All right. Now, with your physical scars, did you just wake up one day and go, dude, where'd that come from? Not unless you were smoking something or, you know, you've been drinking too much the night before. But that hap- that happens in this group. Okay, so not recently, not like last night, but, you know, we have those stories. Now, you have a story about your, I mean, every one of us, if you get together with a bunch of dudes, especially around a campfire or out here, I, I noticed a whole bunch of guys were out here next to Justin's smoker and they were just telling stories. It doesn't take long for guys to start sharing their scars, you know, some dude will say, well, you see this scar right here? Well, I got this. And somebody go, well, that's a sissy scar. You should see this. And guys tell all these stories about scars, right? We could, we could spend all day talking about our scars. But what I want to do is I want to I kind of change, not from a physical scar, I want to talk about an emotional scar. These are scars we really don't talk about. We, these are scars we spend most of our lives trying to cover up because we're too ashamed to let anybody know that our hearts have been wounded. And so today is all about the wounding of the heart. And, and I want to I wanna give you just a few points about how we wound each other, but then how you can get over being wounded. And I think that's something that's very relevant in this day and age. Now, um, do you know the number one way that, that people wound us? Words. Yes. So the first thing on your listening guide, well, first of all, let's see what the Bible has to say about it. Proverbs twelve eighteen says this, careless words stab like a sword. You ever been stabbed with somebody's words? But look at the next part. Wise words bring healing. We've got to become a people. Parents, you know, I, I, I realize that I've hurt my kids. My parents hurt me. And we've got to be people who, who share wise words, not the stabbing, wounding words. So I want you to think about today the words that somebody has said to you. And specifically, I want you to bring to mind something that has wounded you, that maybe you've not gotten over, that when, when your life is really going through a difficult period, those words begin to haunt you again. It could be words that, that, a, that a pastor said. It could be that a parent. It could be a spouse. It could be... Um, uh, it could be a coach or somebody that somebody you're dating. It could be anybody has said some words that wounded you and they haunted you. Because here's the first thing you need to realize. You've got to admit this. Number one is words of others hurt me. They hurt me. The Bible says they stab like a sword. And, and we've all said sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. That's garbage. Physical bones being broken, they heal. But I know some people who are still wounded in the heart and they've never gotten over it. 
something that happened years ago. My instance, I was 18 years old. I thought I knew everything, which 18-year-olds do. Um, But I I thought I knew all this stuff, and my mom and I had lots of conflict my whole teenage years. I didn't know this at the time, but my mom didn't like it when the kids left. She didn't know how to tell you that she was struggling, so she just made your life a living hell until you left. I mean, you wanted to leave. You wanted to get as far away from her as you could. And whoever the oldest kid was got the most difficulty from mom. So my oldest brother, he got the most. And then my, he, I had a brother two years younger than him. Then my sister was five years younger than him. I was seven years younger than my sister. So I got seven years of hell. And I could not wait to get out of that house. But right before I was going to go, mom and I had this one argument. And, and in frustration, mom kind of slams her hands down. She goes, I hate teenagers. Well, I was 18. And I'm pretty quick. I got, I got a pretty quick wit. There are no other teenagers in the home. They've been gone a long time. My friends aren't there. Mom says, I hate teenagers. I knew she was talking to me. And, and for me, my personality, I would rather she had taken her hand and slapped me across the face than said she hated teenagers. Well, I couldn't wait to leave. And what I didn't realize, though, is I carried those words with me. When I left Borger, Texas, I was determined that no woman would ever hurt me again. And I didn't realize until I was a senior in college that I had this, this kind of wall around my heart. And I would date, you know, whatever. But, but anytime a girl got serious, I would run. And, and when it really hit home for me was I was a, a church music major and my, my emphasis was voice. I had to, had to sing all of this stuff. Oh, wow. It's kind of embarrassing now. Um, we, we, why do they do this to music majors? We even had pink tassels. That when I graduated, you had to move a pink tassel. I mean, come on. My brothers were like, dude, are you gay? And I'm like, no. Anyway, uh, okay, that's another story. But my, my professor, my voice professor, chose a love song for me to sing. Of course, it was in Italian, and I could sing it. I, I got all the notes, right? And I, and I knew how to say all the words correctly. But what happened was we had this guest. When you're a senior, you have to sing a, a, a senior recital. That's part of your grade. If you don't do this and you have to do like 10 songs, and I had to do four different languages. So I sang in uh, French and, and Italian. Praise God, English was one of the languages they would count. So I, I sang in four languages. Um, but before I was going to do my senior recital, we had this guest um, uh, they had these, they had these uh, big meetings where they would bring some big-name guest singer in, and they would critique the seniors. And so this one day, I'm in Roxy Grove Hall, and, and I, I thought that was the weirdest name for, for a hall. I'd, I'd like to meet Roxy. I don't know what she looks like. But anyway, it was Roxy Grove Hall at Baylor University, and there's, there's probably four or 500 seats in the auditorium. And there's about 100 students and faculty there, and I had to stand up and sing this song. And so my, my pianist, good friend of mine, so he's playing, and, and I get up, and I sing the song, and I hit every note and I pronounced every word correctly and the guest um, musician that was there, she was sitting about the second row, she said, do it again but this time convince me you know what you're talking about so I sang it again and I was kind of ticked because I was like, this is embarrassing you know your peers are out there and and she said, do you know what this song says and I said, yes ma'am and I told her and she said, it's a love song I don't believe you know what love is. And she then this is the bad part. She said, uh, have you ever been in love? Yeah. She says, do you really know what it means to love someone beyond yourself? 
and, and the girl I was dating was sitting somewhere in the crowd. And I'm in the spotlight. And I'd already told her I loved her, but I didn't. And I said, no. I said, I, I don't know what that means. And she said, then you can never convince us that you know what this song means. So I kind of put my, you know, my head down and walked off. I embarrassed. That <laughs> broke up with the girl real soon after that. Um, do you know what love means? No. <clears throat> what I began to realize somewhere in that time was that something my mom had told me five years earlier had scarred me and caused me to put a wall around my heart. And I had to come to the realization that unless I opened up that heart, unless I risked some things, I never would know what love was. And, and so I finally built a bridge and got over it. So that's where I'm heading with this. Some of you are allowing words that were spoken to you years ago to dictate the path that you're on today. And I'm going to tell you that's foolish. I'm going to show you a process today. Now, here's where it's going to break down because some of you are going to hear it and you go, oh, that's a great idea and you're not going to do it. And, and next year I could do the same message and you'd be exactly where you are right now, still tied to the past. Some of you, though, one or two of you are going to go, I'm tired of doing life the way I've done it. I'm going to try something differently. And you will be changed next year because God has a process. If you will work through that, it can heal you of your past hurts. God wants to turn your 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 scars into these stars that shine his glory for the world to see. Many of you today, though, you're dying a very painful, slow death. Everyone close to you can see it, but you refuse to do anything about it. Because what you've done is you've held on to these wounds and these wounds fester and they begin to poison your heart and then it poisons every relationship around, around you. Some of you, your, your life is like this big sucking sound. Your life sucks because when you walk into the room, when you get into a relationship, you suck the life out of that relationship because somebody hurt you 30 years ago and you're determined everybody in your future is going to hurt you again. And it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy because as you are toxic, the people around you begin to treat you like you think you deserve. And you say, see, all people are the same. Really, you're the same. And you need to make some changes so that you can become different. Now, in this, in this next scene, Simon, this, this is what I want you to get from Simon. Simon is not a, not a good-looking guy. He knows that. And you're going to see this in, in some of the clips that I use. But Simon realizes that God made him for a purpose. And, man, that's, that's what keeps him going. In this scene, he's totally comfortable with his best friend. And in the movie, they explain why they're such good friends. But I want you to notice how, how uncomfortable he gets when the opposite sex shows up. Watch this. <laughs> Simon, please. Why does it matter how long you can hold your breath? I don't know, it just does. One Mississippi, two Mississippi, three Mississippi, four Mississippi. Hi, Joe. Hi, Ann. Hi, Marjorie. What are you guys up to? No good. Where's Simon? He's around. He's so adorable. Like a little doll. Run! 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 30 Mississippi. 30 Mississippi! 30 Mississippi! I counted 34 Mississippi! 
No, why do you have me count if you're just going to count yourself? I want a verification. Hi, Simon. Simon's attitude. He knows what people say about him, but he also has discovered something, and, and he doesn't know this because he's a 12-year-old he's a kid, but this is when you're watching his life or when you're in, in a position where you watch others' lives, here's the reality about words that people say. They can only hurt you if you believe them, right? doesn't matter what someone says that you don't believe, but it's when we believe them that it begins to impact our life. Damage happens when we repeat those things over and over. I guess I am worthless. I guess I am stupid. I guess I am invaluable. I guess I am ugly. I guess I am an accident. And my dad told me I was an accident, and, and we joked about that, but I really was. He was 42, mom was 38, sis was seven years old, and uh, I was an accident. But I told him I was the best accident that ever happened in their life. And after I got out of my teenage years, mom agreed. Not until, until I was 20. She told me, she told me this too. She said, I like kids until they're two years old, and then I don't want to see them again until they're 21. And, and, uh, and it's pretty, because mom and I got to be really good friends um, after I went back from college and, and told her that most of the problems we had were my fault. And, and when I understood that mom was the oldest of eight kids and mom had been beaten by her dad and watched her dad beat all of the, the other seven siblings, and, and when I learned that when I was 25 years old, it totally changed my relationship with my mom. Helped me understand the way my mom reacted. Helped me understand that I need to give her grace. And, and mom and I became great friends. We would sit and talk for hours, called her every Saturday, went on 10 different vacations with her and mom and dad, uh, with mom and dad and Janie, um, because we became such good friends after that. But here's the deal. When you believe those words, you repeat them, you, you reinforce that in your mind and you begin to believe them. So here's what you got to do. First, you have to recognize I've been believing words that other people say about me and you have to stop and you have to say, I'm lying to myself. You have to call yourself a liar. The words that I am repeating are not true. We become enslaved to our past when we listen to those words and we repeat them over and over and then we believe them. We believe them as if they're truth. But here's the thing. Jesus Christ is truth. He said in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. The only way to the Father... Jesus said, truth is not some concept that you discover. Truth is a person named Jesus. The way to freedom is through Jesus Christ. The life of freedom is in Jesus Christ. So I've said this before and I'm going to say it again. You can't know the truth of your situation until you've heard from God. You need God's perspective on things. 
So if we're ever going to be free, we've got to move from what others are saying about us to what God says about us. Let me show you some verses, what God says about you. First is Romans 8, 28. Love this verse. And we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purposes for them or this purpose for them. God causes everything to happen, that, to, to work for good. Good and bad, he causes work for good. Now notice it didn't say God caused everything to happen. It doesn't say that everything that happens to you is good. What it says is God is so powerful that he can take anything that happens in your life and he can turn it around and work it for good in your life if you'll let him do that. Those scars can become stars. And and somebody says, you mean the horrible things that my parents said to me and did to me, God can cause those to be stars? Yes. You mean the horrible scars from my dating life, the, the bad choices that I made? Yes. You mean the horrible scars that I have in my life because I went through a divorce? Yes. The horrible scars that my kids have because of my divorce, my choices, God can cause those to be stars? Yes. If you'll allow him to do that. God causes everything, good and bad, to work together for those who loved him, love him and are called according to his purpose. So if you want freedom, you have to move away from, oh, this is disastrous. You have to move away from, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be in this pity party the rest of my life because of choices I made. You have to say, I'm not going to worry as much about my past because God's not worried about your past. God's worried about your future. When you get adopted into the family, he wipes away your sins. And, and I'll show you that verse in just a minute. Now, we have to move from what others say to what God says. In this next scene, Simon, gets, he gets into trouble. It's what's funny about this thing. Simon and his best friend Joe, they get in trouble all the time by themselves. But what's bad is, to me, what makes me angry is how these church people treat Simon. You're going to see that in, in this next scene. And the really bad thing is, church people hurt church people more than anybody else on the planet. I've heard it said that the, the church is the only army that shoots its wounded. It's true, but we shouldn't do that. Watch this scene. Yes, ma'am. Don't you feel that you owe Reverend Russell an apology? Simon. I'm thinking. Well, you can just sit there and think until you apologize to poor Reverend Russell. Class dismissed. Joe, dismissed. See you later, alligator. After a while, I'm fucking out. Go on outside, Joe. He didn't get anything. Stop making excuses for him. Simon's going to be a member of our congregation. He has to start behaving like a normal person. He is a normal person. Simon Birch is not a normal person. Just go on outside, Joe. Ready to apologize? He's thinking about it. Simon, what do you think you're doing sitting in a corner? Thinking about God. In a corner. Faith is not in a floor plan. Keep him here. For how long? As long as it takes. Mom. Hi, honey. Where's Simon? Didn't your mother ever teach you how to keep quiet during Mass? What am I saying? Of course she didn't. Your parents don't go to church, do they, Simon? 
See, that's because they don't belong here. And neither do you. Speaking out of turn, disrupting the class, telling the other children that, that God has a special plan for you. What kind of nonsense is that? And what kind of nonsense is this? Hello, Rebecca. Come on, Simon. No. Wait, I was, I was, I was teaching him a lesson. And what lesson is that? Humiliation? Oh, man, this is so false. This is all my fault. Hey, don't take all the credit. She's my mom. Telling the children that he's some kind of hero, that he's, he's God's instrument. And who's to say he isn't? Who do you think would win in a fight? Good question. Miss Lizzie's meaner, but she's a smoker. Your mom got out last year. We can't have him talking that way. It frightens the other children. Oh, I think it's you. It frightens Miss Levy. What? Why would I be frightened of little Simon Birch? Because that child has more faith than you'll ever know. Good thing Simon has Joe and Joe's mom because nobody else seems to care in his life. And, and here's the problem is a lot of people think that nobody in their family cares and then they think that churches don't care. And, and we've, got to, we've got to overcome that with kindness and grace uh, and mercy. And, and so what I want to tell you right now is I want to give you a quick um, uh, list of things that you need to do if you have hurts that you've not gotten over. It's, it's just very simple, but, but if you don't do it, then, then you're not going to get uh, well from your hurts. How do you get over your hurt? First is reveal it. One of the things we've said for years in Celebrate Recovery is revealing your feeling is the beginning of healing. Revealing your feelings is the beginning of healing. First of all, you've got to admit that you even have a problem. First, you admit it to God. God will turn your greatest hurt into one of his greatest triumphs if you let him heal you, but not if you let it fester, not if you hold it inside. So you reveal it to God, but then you reveal it to the right type of people. Quit pretending you've got it all together because in this church, we know you don't. We know nobody has it all together, including the pastor, including the pastor's wife and the pastor's kids. Nobody has it all together. Quit pretending. All you're doing is fooling yourself. Everybody else knows. So, so you get involved in Celebrate Recovery on Monday nights or you get involved in one of our small groups. Um, we've got a new men's small group starting on uh, August 30th, uh, The Every Man's Battle, one of the best books that I've ever read. That's going to start at 9 o'clock. Nine o'clock on on uh, Sunday mornings. Jason Stevens is leading that. Our our small groups on Sunday nights are going to start up on September thirteenth. We're going to have a movie night here at five p.m. Um, and and we're going to watch the movie Do You Believe? It's a great Christian movie. And then we're going to go out and have dessert, and we're going to sit around tables, and you're going to get to meet your small group. Um, and it's okay if you've never been in a small group before. You'll get to connect that that night. We'll figure out where the groups are going to meet, and then we'll have childcare that night. So the thirteenth, get plugged into a small group and begin. You don't have to the first night. You don't have to do this. But I say this over and over. My small group this last year, we went really deep, really fast because some people took off their masks and they said, here's what I'm struggling with. And and Satan's going to tell you that if you tell your deepest, darkest secrets, that people will move away from you. Ask anybody in my group what happened. The night that somebody said, here's what I'm struggling with, everybody's heart moved towards them. And in fact, we prayed over people and, and it's just one of the most incredible experiences. Satan is telling you, don't go. Satan is telling you, be afraid. But, but the Bible says perfect love casts out all fear. When you get to know God, you'll, you'll understand you don't have to be afraid of him. In awe of him, yes, but you don't have to fear him because he's a perfect heavenly father. And when you understand that relationship, then you understand it's okay. You don't have to have your heart encased like I did. Because when you have your heart encased, you never experience relationships that God wants you to have. You'll never get there. 
And so we had people in my group last year that shared things that, that I could never share with you. They could if they wanted to, but, but stuff that happens in small groups stays in small group. But I'm going to tell you, when you open up and you reveal your feelings, first of all, you start to heal, but then people around you, they're going to be drawn to you. I'm telling you, I'm telling you, in 31 years of ministry, there is nothing you can do, there is nothing you have done that surprises God, and I'm pretty sure there's nothing you've done that will surprise me either. Because my group's messed up. Right? Okay, so... First thing you got to do is, is reveal it. Second thing, record it. Now, this is where some of you are going to quit doing this. If you get the courage to reveal it, you're not going to do the next four steps, which means you're not going to get healed. Second thing is record it. You write down the lies that you've believed. Something powerful happens when our thoughts move from our brain down through our arm to our fingertips. We get our, our thoughts organized. And we write some things down. I want you to physically write down. You need a notebook that you're going to write down. And you may burn this notebook so that nobody will ever see it. I don't care. But you got to write it down. You have to write it down. And then you say, it's a lie. This is a lie. This is a lie from hell. This is a lie. This is a lie. That's the third thing is you reject it. You acknowledge those words that people have said to you and about you that you've repeated to yourself that they are lies. If their words, if other people's words haunt you, you need new words in your life and you get them from Jesus Christ. Number four, you repeat it. Now, here's what you do. You repeat what? You repeat what Jesus says about you. You repeat what God says about you as truth. So what does God say about us? Here's the first thing. God says, I'm acceptable. Those who are Christians have accepted Christ. We talk about that all the time. You've got to accept Christ. You've got to accept Christ. But did you realize that God accepts you? Look at, look at Rome, uh, 2 Corinthians 5.21. Christ never sinned, but God treated him as a sinner so that Christ could make us what? Acceptable to God. He imputes. That means he takes your guilt, my guilt. He transfers it onto Jesus. Jesus was perfect. His blood covers that. The Bible says without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. So when I accept what Jesus did, God puts my sin on Jesus so that God can accept me into the family of God. He imputes it, takes everything, my guilt, my sin, puts it on the innocent one so that I can be acceptable in God's sight. So when God looks at me, he doesn't see Doug and all of the problems, all of my failures in my past. He sees me clothed in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. That's what it means to be adopted into the family. And that's why you don't have to worry about your past because it's been paid for if you have accepted Christ and he has accepted you. So many people are walking around questioning their value. God says he's so, you're so valuable that he'll pay your price of your sins. Well, Simon, what I love about Simon is he knew he was acceptable to God and that allowed him to endure all this hurt. Watch how he tells uh, a friend, an adult friend, about his destiny. Ben, did Miss Wentworth ever talk about me? All the time, Simon. Everybody talks about you. That's how we keep from getting bored. Did she tell you about my destiny? Simon. What do you mean? I'm going to be a hero. You are? Pretty vague job description, isn't it? How are you going to do that? I don't know. I keep waiting for God to show me a sign. Like the burning bush in the Ten Commandments. But I guess he doesn't go into that kind of thing anymore. Well, uh, you know, you got to be a little patient. I have been patient, but I'm running out of time. Simon, you're 12 years old. 
Here all the time in the world. I don't think so. Time is a monster that cannot be reasoned with. It responds like a snail to our impatience. Then it races like a gazelle when you can't catch your breath. Simon and I were in such a hurry to get to the answers at the end of the road that we never took time to read the signs along the way. How could we have known that everything was working together for a reason? Time is a monster that doesn't stop. And you and I get so busy doing really insignificant things that we miss the relationships. We miss what God has for us. So we've got to pay attention to that. Here's the good thing. This ought to be good news to some of you. God loves you and accepts you no matter what you do or what you don't do because of what Jesus Christ did. I tell people that's the difference between religion and Christianity. Religion is all about do. You do this, you do this, you do this, you do that. You don't do this, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this. Christianity is about done. It's what Jesus Christ has already done. When he said it is finished, he paid the price. You can't add anything to it. You just must accept his gift. If you know Christ personally, you're accepted. So am I. So you write that over life. Somebody's ever told you that you're not acceptable. You write this truth over it. Second thing that God says about you is you're valuable. The value of something is determined by what someone is willing to pay for it. Anytime you see a cross, it, re- it should remind you of your value to, cro- to, to God because he bankrupted all of heaven to pay for your sins and for mine. And then look what Jesus said in Luke twelve twenty four. Look at the ravens. They don't plant or harvest or store food in barns for God feeds them. And you are far more what? Valuable to him than any birds. So if somebody's ever told you you have no value, they ever tell you you're worthless, you, you say that's a lie and you write this over it. I'm valuable to God third thing that God says is I'm lovable. I'm lovable. Romans 5, 8 says this, but God showed how much he loved us by having Christ die for us, even though we were sinful. God tells me the truth. God looks at our sin. He says, yep, that's sin, but he doesn't hold our sin against us. He loves me anyway. And he covers that up through the the blood of Jesus. Next thing God says about you is I am forgivable. I love this verse from Isaiah chapter 43, verse 25. It says, I am the one who erases all your sins for my sake. I will remember your sins no more. The best friends are the best forgetters. Right? I mean, yeah, I need, if I mess up, I need to come and I need to ask for forgiveness. But the best friends I have don't hold my sins against me. The best father you can possibly have is in heaven. And he says, I choose not to remember your sins because they've been covered by the blood of Jesus Christ. So I'm forgivable. Now in this last scene, I got to explain this because Simon's in some weird clothing. He's actually in swaddling clothing. It's, it's the Sunday school teacher's best effort at swaddling clothing because he's the, he's going to be baby Jesus in the Christmas musical because he's the only one that fits in the manger. And so Simon is always questioning people and she has turtle doves in there. I don't know where the turtle doves came. So he asked her cause, cause these kids are dressed up with turtle shells, but they have wings. It's the dumbest thing you've ever seen. And, and Simon's like, people are going to be confused and he gets in trouble with the Sunday school teacher. So she makes him go see the pastor once again. It's like, it's the principal's office, you know? So here, here he goes. Watch what happens. Uh, so how's the rehearsal going? <laughs> Help. Please. I'm going to strangle him. I 
swear to God, I'm going to strangle that little granite mouse if it's the last thing I do. Bear him, I'm going to strangle him. I'm just a little fragile right now. Simon. back after the pageant if you can stop yourself from ruining our play. Understand? Any questions? Does God have a plan for us? I like to think he does. Me too. I think God made me the way I am for a reason. Well, I'm glad that, um, that your faith uh, helps you deal with your, um, you know, your your condition. That's not what I mean. I think I'm God's instrument, that he's going to use me to carry out his plan. Well, it's wonderful to have faith, Simon, but uh, let's not overdo it. Makes me so mad. This guy shouldn't be a preacher. He should be fired. And I know it's a movie, it's a movie, but I still get, because you, you see some truth in that, right? There's situations. If you ever ask a pastor if, if God has a plan for your life and he says, I like to think so, run and go find another pastor. Because Scripture is very clear. And if we believe all of Scripture, God doesn't make mistakes and he has a purpose for every child that's born. Every child can carry out God's plan. And that brings me to the last thing. What does God say about you? You are capable. Even Simon Birch is capable. And this verse is not just a throwaway verse. You've heard it and you've seen it. I've got it on, on plaques in my, in my office. This, this verse really means something. I can do all things through Christ because he gives me strength. You need God's perspective and you need people around you who have God's perspective if you're ever going to be healed from your past. That's how we overcome our past. Years ago, I read a little story, and and here's the synopsis. A man was going to the circus. He was walking through the tents before the circus started, and he saw this elephant tethered to this stake, this big, you know, wooden stake in the ground, and he was tethered with this little bitty chain. He said it was kind of like a a bicycle chain, only, you know, I'm, I'm imagining something even thinner than that. And he was amazed that this massive elephant was held to this stake by a little chain. And so he, he found the trainer and he said, hey, I got a question. How, how come this huge animal can be held with such a small um, chain? And, and the trainer said, well, I've had this elephant since he was a baby. When he was little, he didn't have the strength to break the chain. Now, if he wanted to, he could, just, he could rip it like, like a thread. But it's the memory that keeps him chained to the stake. My fear is we got a lot of elephants here. You're chained to the past by a memory, and you're just walking around that memory over and over and over again, and you're wondering, why am I repeating this? It's because you're going in circles. You've never transferred what others have said to you to Christ on the cross, and you've never started to own what God says about you. If you do that, Jesus said, if you hold to my teaching, the truth will make you what? Free. So God says you're acceptable, you're lovable, you're valuable, you're forgivable, and you're capable. 
Would you take out your registrations real quick, registration cards? And, and what I want you to do on the back, I want you to think about a lie that someone told you that, that Satan keeps bringing up. Right? I don't know what your lie is. Mine was that my mom hated teenagers, so I took that to mean she hated me. And we joked about this in the later years of her life. I'd say, Mom, I remember. She goes, I didn't say that. I said, oh, I was there, sweetie. I was there. She goes, well, I didn't mean it like that. I said, oh, yes, you did. And I said, I understand because I was a punk. I would have hated me too. But Mom and I became good friends because we got over that. So I want you to write down that lie. And now here's what I want you to do. This is, this is the application part because it doesn't do you any good to just hear information over and over on a Sunday. You've got to apply it. Here's the application part. What truth, what does God say about you that directly contradicts the lie you just wrote down? Write the truth right next to it. And I want to challenge you this week to repeat God's truth over and over and over again. Can you do that?